Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. Real inspiration for real innovators. If you're looking for innovation and leadership transformation, your journey starts now. Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bourne. I would love for you to help us spread the word by leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts so that other innovators like you can find us. Well, today I want to welcome the 60 plus countries listening from around the world. Welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you. Today, my guest is Bob Hassan. Bob is a businessman. He's an author, a consultant, and a fellow podcaster, which I love. He's both a founder and a CEO of HPCI. It's a painting subcontractor, which he founded in 1978. For over 30 years, he's been active as a consultant, a board member for churches, ministries, nonprofits, and school boards. Welcome to the podcast, Bob. Natalie, I'm so honored to be here. Thank you. Well, you know what? We are going to have just a really interesting conversation. You're an author, so I want to talk about your book later, but there's a timely conversation we need to have. And that's kind of what's happening in the world right now, right? We see recession looming. We see some disruption coming in the marketplace. And so we wanted to bring a really timely conversation to this audience to think about as an innovator, right? Whether you own a business or you own a nonprofit or maybe you're even in business, right? Working for an employer. Now is the time to kind of think about how you prepare for times of disruption. Yeah, I think we just came through a world health pandemic and economic pandemic. And I remember, Natalie, I have three mentors who were in their late 80s, and I couldn't even call them and say, what do you do? Because the last pandemic was 100 years ago. That's right. And so we all sort of tried to figure it out and nobody knew what to do. I remember thinking, can people really work from home and be efficient? Does that work? And we found out that it did. So we survived all that. And here we go into what we're feeling like inflationary times and what the media is saying is a recession. Recession is looming. So how do you prepare for that disruption? Well, we've had, I've lived through three of them. And I think the first thing that I would say is conserve cash. As a business owner, if you have accounts receivable, collect them. Don't let them get past 90 days. If you have inventory, put it on sale and sell it and get it out of there and collect your cash. And, you know, if there's, we're seeing in the news, Facebook just laid off 13% of their workforce, 11,000 people. We know what's happening with Twitter. Google saying there's about 10,000 people that are gonna be laid off. In our small businesses, make those hard decisions and look at staffing and make a decision. Do we need to cut expenses that way? And, And I think, Conserving cash is really, really an important thing in this time. This is such an important conversation. It's interesting. You know, the whole premise of when I first started this podcast in season one, I was actually talking about leading in crisis in 2020. Actually, I had planned a completely different direction. And then this, right, COVID, everything came onto the scene. And it was really about how to lead through crisis. And so one of the things I know and and kind of what we're leaning into here is that you have to disrupt yourself before you're disrupted. So often, you know, we go through COVID and we go back into our comfort zone and we really don't think about what it's going to take to lead through almost another crisis. And so I think what you're leaning into here is how do we prepare? How do we think ahead? 
And how do we really bring, you know, some different schools of thought to the table, right? Don't just do what you've always been doing. It's the time is now to disrupt yourself. I'm a big proponent of making sure that you talk to people that are your friends or you're accountable to or are mentors and ask them, what did they do in the late 80s, 90s, and early 2000s when they went through inflationary and recessionary times? I think if you're in a career, some of your listeners and watchers have are in the midst of a career, how do you protect yourself from, you know, those layoffs that we were just talking about? And that's like, simply don't be a quiet quitter. And what's a quiet quitter? I I didn't know what it was until this year. And it's people who are saying, I'm going to do the bare minimum. In, In my book is show up early, work until you have finished your task and then ask your coworkers or your supervisors, anything else I can do? Can I help in any other way? And be a person of character so that when your company is maybe going to experience layoffs or restructuring, they say, well, we can't get rid of this person because they have such high character. They have a high motor. They're working circles around everyone else. Yeah, that's so important. I think, you know, I think about 2008, I went through that financial crisis and we did have to lay people off. And I remember, you know, having team members walk into a room and then they came out holding the box and packing their things. And it was a, it was a really sad time, but I think you're right. There were people that stood out as people that could not be lost by the organization. And then there were kind of that bottom 10%. If we even think about how Jack Welsh ran businesses, right? The bottom 10% left every year because he wanted to make sure that they were bringing in the best talent. And so in times like this, when things get tight, you have to be in a position where People are thinking about you as an asset and a value, not as a liability to the organization because, Mm. you know, they're always complaining. They don't come to work on time. They don't show up and bring their best self or they say they're going to do things, but then don't do it. I love people who are problem solvers and they come with solutions. They say, here's the issue, but I have the solution. Whether or not the solution is correct, at least they're coming with a resolution to an issue. And so many times, like you just said, people are complaining and pointing out what's wrong without thinking outside the box to come to some type of resolution. We've had many, many meetings at our company where we've had issues and, and someone's come with a proposed solution and they put it on the table and maybe we didn't end up going with that solution, but it got the management team talking enough to recognize, Hey, we're just sitting back and what we really need to do is move forward and try aggressively to take this issue head on. That's so good. You know, as you think about other ways that people can help their business or their company during this time, we were talking about this before we hit record, but even innovation. I remember in 2008, after we let those folks go, which that was like a very, very sad day for us, our CEO put a mandate on us. And this was such a weird thing to do. He said, I want you to create two new innovative products every year. And we Mm. thought, we just lost all these people. Like, we need to sit down and lick our wounds. And he said, no, I want you to go innovate. And so I think there's something powerful in what we can do when we have less resources, you know, less options. It actually creates more ingenuity. I think it's, it's very interesting. If you look at Uber came in the midst of the 2007, 8 recession, they built the company and there's many, many other large firms that we know of that, that were born out of recessionary times. So I look at this as 
sort of a recession sifts the good and the bad and you see companies go bankrupt. But in pandemic, I have this great story of innovation in the pandemic. This friend of mine has a company, a, a large company that processes tickets for events. All right. Think about that. So the pandemic happens and what's the first thing that went away? Events. Events. Oh my gosh. And so he is refunding all this money to tickets that he sold and he, he gets his staff together and says, I'm not laying anybody off. We have to innovate and we have to shift our company and I don't know how we're going to do it. Wow. And so they went to work over a week and they came back and what they ended up doing is they shifted their, their abilities to, I don't even know how to explain this. Instead of selling for events, if you remember back in the pandemic, you could go to some place like one at a time, one person could go in. Yep. So he altered his software to be able to sell tickets in time slots, increments, and then like pumpkin patches and Christmas tree lots and all these different things that they'd never done before. And they came through 2020, 10% higher than 2019 with this wow. innovation shift. It was unbelievable. Wow. Well, you see a lot of companies in 2020 do that. And you saw others go out of business. And I think that is the benefit. I think, you know, something I love to say is like, don't waste a crisis, right? Like mm -hmm. crisis affords us other opportunities to think differently, to think outside the box and really Sometimes you just blow that box up and say, we need to build something different. And I love that he did that because I think most people set back on their heels. It takes a certain type of leader to lean forward and try to figure out how to solve the problem. And so I think the, probably the weight of the organization, the weight of the people that he was employing, that made him lean forward, not lean back. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, we all know stories of people who tried to survive, but just couldn't. And, you know, all the leadership books you read, you, you mentioned Jack Welch and, you know, I, I love his story, but these leadership books that you read, essentially the, the common theme is if you're not innovating or growing, then you're dying. Mm -hmm. And especially in a crisis, does that come full circle? And it really becomes, it becomes a mantra that we have to live by. That's so good. You know, I think a lot about what you were saying earlier too, with quiet quitting, and what I feel like with quiet quitting is, is what is actually happening is people around you can sense that you're quitting before you do. And so the way we show up every day really matters. And I think that being able to show up ready to solve problems, being ready to show up ready to, to help solve some of the problems the organization is having. So, so often it's easy to complain. It's easy to, to show and point out all the things that are wrong. But what is so challenging to bring to the table is not a critical eye. But bring innovation to the table, bring solutions to the table, as you were saying earlier. And I think that part of the challenge with quiet quitting is your coworkers see that. They see you quiet quitting, you know, your employer or your customers, right? They see you quiet quitting before you ever really realize you're doing it. And so something I think is really important, too, in crisis is to kind of take a temperature check with where you're personally at. Right. And I don't know about you, Natalie, but I want to be a part of a team or a, or a culture that is celebrating outside the box thinking, that's celebrating innovation, that's not fear-based. And when we, we see companies where we have, you know, a leader who is a fear-based leader and everyone within the organization is worried about people 
other employees stealing their ideas mm-hmm. or climbing over their backs to get a raise. We want to build a culture of, if you will, love. Like mm-hmm. there's the scripture that I love. It's uh, fear and love can't coexist because fear has to do with punishment. Yeah. And we want to work for companies where new ideas, where innovation, where the culture of inclusion is rampant, where we can have an, what we think is a great idea and our peers talk through it and decide it's not such a great idea, but we're not shamed about it and, right. and we just move on. I love that. You're leaning into, you know, psychological safety. And I think that's such an important part of the team. It's interesting, you know, I worked on this team and, and just a contrast, I worked on this team where we had this project and failed miserably. It was bad. Oh, yeah. And we came into the room and I said, okay, guys, we got to look at it. We got to figure out what each of us did wrong. Let me start. Mm-hmm. Let me share where I can own what I could have done differently. And we, I said, now I want you each to go around the room. You're not allowed to say what someone else could own. You need to say what you can own. And it was interesting because nobody would own anything. And I tried to lead the way, but it was a fear-based culture that we were in. And so the fear was, if I say I did something wrong, I'll get fired. Right. And, you know, the culture I would love to bring into any organization is it's not about doing something wrong. It's really about failure to admit that you did something wrong. Because if you can admit it, we can learn from it. We can grow from it. But if we're going to deny it and hide it, we can never grow or learn in that environment. So I just thought it was kind of funny just to yeah. go around the room and it was like, nope, not sharing. And so, you know, that is part of the reason of starts a fear-based culture is if I say what I did wrong, then I could lose my job or I could lose my ability to be promoted later versus by saying what I did wrong, we can grow together and get even smarter. Yeah, well, the good news is, Natalie, that that failure was all yours because nobody else did anything wrong. That's right. It was all on me. It's my fault. <laughs> in, in my company, I instituted this a long time. We do the big jobs that last years. And after the job's complete, I have what's called a postmortem meeting. And it's exactly what you said. We're going to discuss what, what went right and what went wrong. And when we have a job that's lost money, it's especially hard. But including newer employees into that environment, the environment where it's safe in this postmortem meeting to talk about what, you know, what each person did wrong or what happened on the job, what we do different. It, you could see the fear in people's eyes because of what you just said. They came from fear-based cultures yeah. where it wasn't safe to talk about these things. And we've had some of these meetings that have gotten pretty hot and heavy. But at the end of the day, I remind people the reason we're having these meetings is so that we won't repeat the mistakes on the next job. That's the whole reason why we do that. And I think, you know, ownership, self-ownership of issues or mistakes is huge because that's where we, I know that's where I learn and I know that's where other people learn. You know what's so interesting about self-ownership too, contrasting that with a meeting I recently had where we had some mistakes, I had a person just go first and say, hey. I want to share some of the things I've been thinking about. And they went down the list and said, here are all the things I think that led to this perfect storm that I could have done differently. And I was so excited. I was so proud of that person to be somebody that was just able to look at their own self and say, hey, I'm not perfect. I can't be on, you know, 24 seven. Sometimes I mess up and I've thought about it. And here are the things that I would do differently. I was like, just wanted to stand up and clap because that's the type of culture we have to have if we're going to grow. Yeah, I love it. I, I love it. And I think that's where we need to head to. And some people will say, well, I work in a fear-based culture, so 
you know, there's no way I can do that. But whether you're an entry-level position or you're a shift leader or a team leader or a director, you can bring a different culture into your environment, into your team, no matter what is happening within the company. Google did a study in 2000, I want to say 12, they called it Project Aristotle. And what they were trying to find out is why the highest performing teams are the highest performing teams. So they spent millions of dollars trying to figure this out. And all they could come up with is the highest performing teams cared about each other. And they had a culture where people cared and it caused them to perform at the highest levels. I just thought that was the best study. I love that. And it's interesting. There's another study that's out there right now. I think it's one that they update a lot, but it talks about how even having a best friend at work increases your engagement. And so I, especially coming up through, you know, when I was younger, it used to be all about your coworkers are your competition. And you, and I just, right. I think that that was such a toxic way of teaching people how to be a part of an ecosystem and an environment. When you think about it, you spend a lot more time with these people weekly, right? Than sometimes you do your own family. Mm-hmm. And so how we show up and how we care for one another is really all that matters. And, you know, I've thought about this a lot and you do this as you get older, you start looking back and thinking about things. but. When I look back, it wasn't the projects we worked on. It wasn't the innovations. It wasn't the money we made or didn't make. It was about the relationships we cultivated and how we treat people. And I think the older you get, the more you realize that relationship is the currency. It's, the, it's really the only currency you have in business. It is about results, but results can't be put above people. I couldn't agree more. And One of the latter chapters in my book, Shortcuts, the title is Passion is Connected to People. And what I hear a lot from younger people is I'm not passionate about the job. And again, if they're in an entry-level position or if they're climbing the ranks, it's, yeah, it's hard to be passionate because it's a grind. But where you can find passion and where you can find your mission is the people that you work with. And I so agree with what you just said because, because I think once you build relationships, then you look forward to coming to work because you, you have people that you know, that you care about, that you're working with, that you're on a team with, that you're pulling in the same direction with. And it's such a powerful force rather than coming to work and being in a fear-based culture or being afraid and not having people to pull alongside you. And that's so important. And I also want to, I just want people to be able to see your awesome book, which I've gotten into, I've started reading it and it has been so impactful and so powerful because A lot of what you're talking about here, too, is things that I wish even, you know, people that are entering the workforce or been in the workforce for several years could actually pick this book up and read it. Because a lot of times we think that there are shortcuts to life and we think that we can just kind of, you know, kind of dispel everything out there and just kind of skip to the front of the line. And sometimes when we do that without some of the key learnings and key foundational pieces built along the way, we actually create for ourselves a house that kind of crumbles later on. And so what I love about this is you're talking about resilience and grit and then also just adding value where you are. And sometimes that's all it is, right? You're adding value to others. You're not necessarily 100% over the moon about your job. I tell people all the time, like for me at this age, I still have things that I don't love doing that I just know I have to do that are part of the the job. And so, you know, I try to hopefully make it 80% of things I love and 20, I don't, but it wasn't always that way. Yeah. I, and I say 75, 25. So we're, we're pretty close. Close. 
And they're just all parts of our jobs that we're not going to like, but I'll have somebody say to me, I just hate my job. I want to quit. Well, how much of it do you like? And what's your percentage? And they'll say some high percentage. Like you have a dream job. You have to learn to do things you don't like. Learn to do things you, you're not good at in order to grow. And I think this life is a process and we're always on a journey of learning and shifting and adjusting and trying to better ourselves. And the people who I see that are old people are people who have stopped learning and, yeah. and they just, they think they know everything and, and they're, they don't have a learner's mentality and they just get bitter and people don't want to be around them. So, so no matter what the age is, just continue learning. Yeah. That's so huge. I think what's so important about picking up a book like this is it helps us to look at our journey holistically. Like I used to think about my career, especially earlier in my career as a ladder. And sometimes you look up and you've, you've put your ladder against the wrong building. <laughs> You're like, what, what am I doing? And instead, I love thinking about our career, our journey is a, is a path, right, that we're driving on. And there are certain points along the way where you stop off, you enjoy you know, the scenery, you enjoy the people that are in that path that you're on, and then you get back in the car and keep driving. And so, you know, I think that climbing the corporate ladder and things like that, I feel like that language is like very cold language. Mm. When we look at this big idea of this big world that has been created for us, and there's so much for us to learn along the way. And so, so much of our journey is not about getting to a certain title or a certain amount of money. For me, it was that way very, very early on. And that's changed to who can I engage with? Who can I impact? What right. kind of life change can we have? And so I think that as you start to make that shift too in your career, you start to enjoy what you're doing more because it's about the things that matter the most. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's amazing. Well, Bob, what final thoughts would you have for our listeners? And I would love to Maybe even some final thoughts from your book, because I would love for people to get this book. It's called Shortcuts, and it's an awesome book. I'm only a couple chapters in right now, but I am really enjoying it. I'm just gleaning so much as I'm just listening to this. And I'm also having areas where I'm like, ooh, that I need to think about that. So tell, tell us a little bit about some final thoughts you would have. Well, I think in this life, it's not easy, especially for entrepreneurs or business owners or people running nonprofits, if, if it was easy, everybody be doing it. And, and so what I found that's helped in my life is when people in my life gave me courage and my, my attempt at this book at shortcuts is to give people courage that the path and the journey is lifelong. And like you said, we're not climbing a ladder. We are going down, we're, we have a path that we're going down and there's going to be bumps in it and hiccups. And we need each other in order to be able to manage ourselves and manage issues that we come to. So I hope that people will recognize, hey, we're in a disruptive time right now, whether it depends on whether you think it's inflation or recession, we're going to be disrupted. So batten down the hatches, yeah. conserve cash, let your character shine before you and make sure that you stay in relationship and don't isolate. Isolation to me is the killer of leaders who are trying to innovate. And I've seen isolation over and over and over again, take leaders out. So those are sort of my final thoughts. And I, I'm just so honored to be on your podcast, Natalie. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Can you tell people where they can find you? Where can they follow you and learn more about this? I'm pretty active on Instagram at Bob Hassan. Just look for the guy with gray hair. 
<laughs> and uh, I have my website is bobhassan.com and you can buy shortcuts on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This has been awesome. And there's just so much wisdom and shortcuts. So I hope that our listeners will check this book out, pick it up and just enjoy it because there's just such good nuggets of wisdom in here. And I've been personally enjoying it. And I know you're going to enjoy it too. Well, to our listeners, thank you for joining the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Remember, don't just get out of the box, break the box and set it on fire. Let's go transform something. Thank you for joining us for the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Innovation Meets Leadership and visit our site at innovationmeetsleadership.com for more innovation resources. Today's sponsorship is brought to you by Territory Global. We work at the intersection of experience and imagination. We help you pinpoint problems and turn them into opportunities. We make imagine happen. Some of the best organizations in the world choose us as their partner to help solve their strategy, innovation, transformation, story, and ways of working problems. Learn more at Territory.co.